Hey, everybody. Who, who likes to hear a testimony? Yeah? Sometimes I don't. Because I'm like, why did they do it for him and not for me? Do you ever feel like that? No? Oh, sorry. Nobody? Yeah? I'm like that all the time. Whenever I hear someone share a testimony, I'm like, God, why, why them and not me? And um, I think it's a difficult question really to answer, and I'm not going to be able to answer it. Um, unfortunately, so I'm going to have to leave that with you. But it is my turn now after I don't know how many years that I've not really had to, a chance to share a testimony. It's my chance. And so I want to encourage you that actually maybe it will come around at some point. There will be a chance for you guys to share your testimony too. But this is my one, which I, I tend to go on for a long time. So Nigel, you're going to have to shorten your sermon or whoever's speaking. Um, basically, um, I worked for a charity called XLP for like six years. And I kind of became a bit of an expert there. I knew what I was doing. I was quite good at my job. Um, and people would come to me for advice within their roles, etc., etc. Basically, I knew what I was doing. And um, then I felt like it was actually time for me to move on. And a year ago, I took another job at Tear Fund. And it went pretty terribly. <laughs> and uh, I've had a really bad year, actually. Um, professionally, my confidence has kind of been shot. Um, it meant that I've not been the happy, dynamic, confident person that I normally am. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been quite a difficult year, actually, to, to, to be in that environment, to be not who I normally am. Um, and, yeah, so basically, up until that point, I've always had a confidence in my own abilities, a confidence in who I am, a confidence in what I can achieve. And I trusted myself, but at the end of my time at Tear Fund, I realized that actually uh, there might be an opportunity to maybe trust God rather than just my own capabilities. And I'd been relying on myself and the fact that I knew things too much. Uh, it came to the point where I quit because it was just such a difficult time. Um, but now the pressure was on to find a new job. And I was in this place of like, okay, I'm the confident person. I've actually had a 100% interview record. Every time I've gone for an interview, I've got the job. I know I can do it. It's me, right? It's all about me and my abilities. Um, and then I went for this job, which would have been a good amount of money. It would have set me up nicely. Timing-wise would have been perfect. Um, and on the way there, I got this text from one of my friends. I ask that any door that's open for convenience and not destiny be slammed shut. That Holy Spirit would lead you down the narrow path of death to self, righteousness, and fulfilling the call that sounded against hell from the moment God thought of you, saying, let's make Dara in our image and likeness. Now, he's quite a spiritual kind of guy, and I'm not that way inclined at all. And I was reading this, and I was like, Ollie, this is not the text I want. <laughs> I want you to pray... Give that job to Dara. Get him that little bit of extra money. It'll be all good. You don't need to worry about the fact that you're unemployed. Um, and my 100% record was now on the line. Needless to say, Ollie was right, and I didn't get that job. And now I was in this place of being, Joe, you know why do I keep relying on myself? This is an opportunity for me to rely entirely on God and his timing which is difficult because you've got mortgage to pay, bills to pay, everything else. 
and now I'm in this position of actually being unemployed. Um, thankfully, it was only for a very short amount of time, and I got this opportunity to work with a charity called Spear, which the heart is just so much more me than with the job I was going for that I didn't get. The, the direction, the everything about it, just so much more in tune of who I am. So much more in tune of how God's story has brought me together. So much more in tune of what my expertise is in, in terms of XLP. But the role itself is really difficult. It's going to be a massive challenge for me. Um, I'm ambling on, aren't I? Um, but basically, <laughs> basically, it all comes to this. Um, I started that job last week, and I've had an absolutely amazing week. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. But my point is, in that point, at that moment, I was relying on God, and he did come through for me. And maybe it's not, I don't know what people's environment situations are at the moment, but it's been a long time for me to stand up here and have a testimony. In fact, I've never done it. But, um, yeah, maybe I could encourage you guys that God is there. God is with you. Um, and, yeah, I think that's it, really. Is that great? Is that all right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. The, what I grabbed was the song we sang earlier, which is um, uh, God of Creation. And it's just, I could read the whole song out, really. But the whole thing, but just coming back to God. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. And then there's this one bit in Chorus 3 that says, If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. And I'm just kind of holding on to that. I've actually, I had to, I had to make that choice to choose surrender in that moment. Um, and Jesus was the ultimate role model for that. So yeah, there we go. Right. Thank you, Dara. One of the things we have been praying about on Sunday nights is jobs, so we'll do that again tonight, pray for people to find work. Uh, if Dion was here, I would have got her up as well. She was made redundant. She was working on this uh, office floor, and there was another company, the other half of the floor, and she was thinking, well, you know, I've only got, got into this job. I need a job, and now I've been made redundant. But the other company, the other side of the floor said, oh, you're great. If they're making you redundant, we'll employ you. She actually kept the same desk <laughs> and carried on working in a better job with the other company. So that's fantastic. And then, you know, Rachel plays drums sometimes. Her boyfriend's an actor. And uh, for two and a quarter years, he hadn't got an acting job. It was really, really getting him down. But this last Monday, he started an acting job. Uh, and he'll be working uh, in a Shakespeare play over the summer, uh, spring and summer, which is fantastic. That's great. Praise God. And now, so that our hopes are up even higher, we have Mr. Peter Alexin to preach to us. I just want to, to give an insight into people's preparation. You know, it's not easy coming up here to speak. So I texted Pete on Thursday and said, how's it going? And uh, he said, I'm, I'm working on it, but it's really tough. I've got 46 pages of scribbled notes I've got the most convoluted way of organizing the content. I've got a headache. I've got a gig tonight. I'm packing for holiday. And Orson Wenger has resigned. And I don't even know who he is. 
So out of that maelstrom, that cauldron of preparation, Pete, come and speak to us. Lord, we thank you for Pete. We pray that you'll speak to us through him and bless us and bless him as he brings your word to us. Amen. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you very much. That was sent in confidence, so you can imagine. Uh, yes, well, good morning, everybody. Are you well? Nice to see you. And uh, I wanted to say, yeah, I, I was intrigued to look at the, uh, the bulletin, which says that I'm speaking today, which is correct, and speaking on hope. And I did ask Nigel a little while ago, could I, uh, he asked if I would like to speak, and I said, I've got a message on hope I'd like to bring to the church. And then Nigel said, well, we've also we've got this Easter series. We're going through these um, various uh, Easter uh, passages, and uh, could it fit in with some of that? So we worked it out that I'd be speaking today uh, from John 21, the story, which we'll be looking at in just a moment. In fact, that Nigel read earlier on, uh, and uh, I don't want to read the whole passage again because Nigel's already read it, but I would like to just um, read a brief part of it, if that's okay. Is that all right? Okay. If anybody's got a Bible, it's uh, John 21, verse 19 to 20. Oh, um, yeah, think about that about there. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, "Uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Uh, This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God with. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So that was uh, John 21 verses 15 to 19. And uh, I really, for today, I want, I'll take this off now, um, I wanted, uh, wanted to uh, talk about Peter, obviously. I'm going to think about Peter's past, Peter's denial, and Peter's restoration. It's just so that we know where we're going. I'm also going to speak at some point particularly about hope and how it, uh, how it uh, is so necessary for us. Um, you know, there is a, there's a primacy to Peter in the, in the Gospels uh, throughout. You know, Peter is always the first saint to be mentioned. But there's, there's the list of disciples or dis- apostles, however you uh, think of those lists. Peter's name features, first of all, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Judas always comes in last. Peter's always named first. And here in John's Gospel, uh, if you um, heard the passage read earlier on uh, from, by, by Nigel, uh, the, there's not a full list of names. It uh, says there's Simon, Peter... And then it says there's Thomas and Nathaniel and the two sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. But again, you see Simon Peter being the first. And it, see, he just seemed to have a natural leadership about him. Simon Peter had a natural leadership. You notice in, this, in the passage that, uh, that uh, we heard earlier on, si- uh, Simon Peter said, uh, you know, I'm going fishing. And he'd probably had enough sort of... Uh, moping about the place and he'd been you know, reflecting on what, all that had passed recently and the denial and, uh, of Christ and the, uh, the, uh, the crucifixion and everything. He said, I'm going fishing. 
And everyone else said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do that. He didn't say we're going fishing. He said, I'm going fishing. And I got a feeling he kind of wanted to be on his own a little bit. But he was that kind of person that people would just want to be with him and they want to come out with him. And uh, he, he had a particular uh, place amongst the 12. And it's interesting, I always think it's interesting that, that when Jesus spoke to him, he said, he said, your, your name, he said, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. And so throughout, sometimes I'm going to be calling him Simon, sometimes I'm going to be calling him Peter. But I'm going to try and stay with Peter, I think it's uh, for, for simplicity's sake. But occasionally the text uh, refers to him again as Simon. Um, thinking about Peter's past, uh, Peter had various strengths that we know about. We know he had strengths. He was um, among the first, probably the first, really, to say to fall down at Jesus' feet. He was the only one, I think, that's recorded that he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, "Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man." And he recognized there was something in the person of Jesus Christ that wasn't common to men. He saw something in Christ, so he's kind of ahead of everybody else there. He said, uh, on the occasion when there was a great falling away of disciples, at one point. Jesus had about 70 disciples following him, and then after a particularly hard teaching, many fell away. And Jesus said to the 12, he said, are you also going to leave me? And it was Simon Peter who spoke up. And Simon Peter who said, Lord, where would we go? It's you alone have the, have the words of eternal life. So Peter again comes out, tops, comes out first. And it, when, uh, when the, uh, the, the disciples were asked the question, who do men say I am and who do you say I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we know Peter's a... A great fellow. And many of us like to identify with Peter, but curiously, we don't identify with him so much for his strengths. We like to identify with him around his failings. He seems to put his foot in it quite a bit. He had a number of failings. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, when Jesus showed his glory, and uh, he, his, uh, he was visited by Eli- Moses and Elijah. It, the text says that Peter, not knowing what to say, he said that, that Peter said, Shall we, um, he said, Shall I build some tents? Uh, uh, tabernacles, maybe whatever you want, shelters, or whatever you, whatever you like to call them, and we'll uh, so that, that Moses and Elijah can and you can can live here. He says that he knew not what he was saying, but that didn't stop him from saying anything. He was a sort of person who wanted to speak out, and he had something. Whether he had something to say or didn't have something to say, he was still going to say it. So he sometimes got himself into trouble. We know that he was the the only something I could read about that that rebuked Jesus. Uh, on the occasion when Jesus was explaining his mission, he said, I'm going to have to go to the, uh, into Jerusalem and face the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And there, he said, the Son of Man will suffer, be crucified, be resurrected. Uh, it was Peter who said, no, Lord. No, you're not going to do that. So uh, at that occasion, Jesus had to rebuke Peter. In fact, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, which must have been tough for Peter to hear. So sometimes Peter has these failings. And of course... Um, at the, at the Last Supper, when uh, Jesus uh, is saying, one of you will betray me, and he's speaking about Judas, he also says, uh, all of you will forsake me. And Peter's the one who stands up and says, not me, you know, everyone else might desert you, but I will never desert you. And of course, we know that Jesus has had to warn him at that time. He said, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, uh, twice, you will have denied me three times. And... Um, it was, that must have been hard for Peter to hear, but he didn't, didn't seem to believe it. He said, no, I won't. I won't. So we, ha- we come to the story of Peter's denial. We thought about Peter's past in general terms, and we've got now Peter's denial. And we know the story, of course, that Jesus was indeed arrested, having been betrayed by Judas, betrayed with a, Chris, a kiss. 
Did I say betrayed with a kiss? Apologies to anybody called Chris. Um, betrayed with a kiss. And uh, he, he, he followed Jesus out. Jesus was taken away to the chief priest's house, the high priest's house. And uh, he, he followed at a distance. Now, a lot of people have made something of that little phrase. He followed at a distance. It's never good to follow Jesus at a distance. If we're going to follow him, let's follow him you know, on his heels. Let's be on his heels. Follow him close up. But uh, there, uh, Peter sat by the fire. Uh, he was obviously at some distance from where Jesus was. Jesus was being questioned or interrogated. And we know the story that the maid said to him, don't, don't you know, weren't you with him when you came in? Didn't you come in with the man who just been arrested? And, of course, Peter denies this. He said, no, absolutely not. And uh, then somebody else says, no, you, I saw you with him. And uh, Peter says, no, I was never with him. And then somebody else says, you've got the same accent. You, you, were, with the, you were with that, uh, that Jesus of Nazareth uh, from Galilee and wherever they said to him. He said, no. He said, I, did, I don't know him. And uh, so we, we, we know that story very well about the denial of Christ. But three times over, just it wasn't once, not twice, but three times. And we, it's fair to ask the question, why? Why did, why did Peter deny the Lord? And there's various possibilities. It could be that he was scared. That's quite commonly uh, considered to be the case. That he was, he was very frightened about what might happen to him. Jesus was being arrested. They may, he may have seen him being manhandled. He was, you know, everybody seemed to be down on Jesus. And maybe he didn't want to uh, put his hand up for any of that. So it could be that he was scared. It could be that he was intimidated, certainly by the surroundings that were there. This is uh, the, 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 70, uh, uh, the Sanhedrin, the 70 um, wise men of uh, Jerusalem, all gathered together, all with great intellect, all with great intelligence uh, and, and education. And he's thinking, well, I know something more than these people. Maybe, just possibly, maybe it's true that uh, Peter was intimidated uh, by the, the surroundings and the people that were there. Quite possibly, he was embarrassed. Have you ever been embarrassed by Jesus? <laughs> embarrassed to say you're a Christian? Sometimes, you know, Jesus doesn't look cool. doesn't always look cool. Sometimes he does when he's feeding the 5,000 or uh, preaching a sermon on the mount. But at this point, he was probably very tired, very uh, uh, haggard, very... Um, it was, he wasn't looking probably at his best. He's it's probably not feel, looking very powerful at this, at this moment. Uh, so quite possibly he was... He was embarrassed. Peter may have been embarrassed. Maybe disillusioned. Maybe even enamored. Have you ever thought this one? Enamored by a pretty face. We're told that there was a maid in the story. And it's just possible that maybe there was a, you know, maybe there was a moment between them. We don't know that. Isn't it? I'm not uh, saying the scripture says this. But maybe there was just something that he felt a little more embarrassed to say when he was asked, are you with him? So yeah, yeah, I'm with him. Maybe he just wanted to distance himself at that point. We don't know the reason. We're not told the reason. And I think that's significant in itself. And perhaps it's because there is no reason, there is no excuse, and there is no justification ever to deny Christ. Uh, but that was what uh, Peter did at that point. So we, we do like to, um, uh, we think about Peter a lot, and we tend to identify him. Because I think we, also, we easily think, well, that could so easily have been me. You know, that, I, that could have been me that was uh, uh, in that position. I don't know if you feel that way. There was this, that dreadful moment in Peter's, uh, uh, in, at that night, when, when it says that, that uh, we have the account in Luke 22, verse 6, it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter just as the cock crowed. And it says he lo- looked and turned, turned and looked at Peter. And that must have been a dreadful moment for Peter, when having, been, having just denied the Lord, it's like the Lord looks at him and says, you know, I told you. I'm sure he wasn't saying, I told you so. I think what would have been in, in Jesus' mind would have been far more gracious than we might 
contemplate. Because, you know, Jesus, even in extreme circumstances, uh, on the cross itself, he was able to think about others. Even on the cross, he was able to cry out, you know, son behold their mother, mother behold their son, looking at Mary and, and his uh, disciple John. Uh, it was on, on the cross, he was able to say to the thief, uh, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And when the, when the thief will cry out, Lord, rem- remember me when you come into your kingdom. And uh, more than that, um, on the cross he, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So even in, under torture himself, he was able to think about others. So I think it's quite possible that even at that moment when he looked at Peter, he may have had a lot more compassion for Peter than Peter might have uh, expected him to have. How did Peter feel at that moment? Probably full of regret and shame. He would have felt pretty terrible. And uh, I imagine that he felt bad enough having denied the Lord. But then when the crucifixion took place and after the, the crucifixion, can any of us imagine the despair that Peter must have entered into? How, how you know, low did he uh, go? How, how, what was the, the depth of his, uh, his pain? And I wonder if, if anybody can understand. Well, maybe some can. Maybe you or I have been in the place of despair at some point. Maybe that would equal Peter's, maybe not. But we would know our own pain. We would know our despair. Oh, however great uh, our pain and, uh, has been, the great thing about Peter is that um, it does say that when Jesus looked at him, that he, he wept, it says he went out of the courtyard and he wept bitterly. And clearly what Peter did was he faced his pain. He faced up to his weakness and he wasn't all that. He wasn't, you know, the great man who was going to stand by Christ, whatever happened. He actually uh, knew it at that moment. And I think that was perhaps the part of the making of Peter, that he, he wasn't saying, um, no, it's just an off day, it's a bad day for me. He embraced the reality of his, his failing. And I was uh, in- impressed by what Dara was saying a few moments ago about feeling that he had his own strengths, but then uh, coming to a point of saying, it's not about my strengths, it's about you know, God making something of me. And I think that, that, that that's a part of the journey we all have to go through, when we have to come to an end of our own abilities and realize we're not all that. You know, sometimes we have this idea, especially if there's... I think, you know, Peter had prophetic words spoken over him by Jesus, saying, you know, uh, upon this rock I'll build my church and all these great things, and, you know, uh, the, the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Great promises, you know, of, uh, He's even told that uh, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but when you recover, you'll feed the brothers. Um, and I, I wonder if, in some ways, Peter felt he'd kind of already come into that. He had these prophetic words spoken over him. In actual fact, despite the fact that prophetic words and powerful words and positive words may have been spoken to us, we might still have to go through this sort of dark night of the soul sort of thing, where we have to basically come to that. We, we're not there yet. Maybe when the, the prophetic word is spoken over us, it doesn't mean that we're there yet, but we're going to come into it. But we might have to traverse this... Uh, this difficulty when you really come to an end of yourself and say, I don't, you know what, I don't have it. I'm not all that. I don't have it all together. We all need hope. And I think Peter needed hope at where he was. And it, it, of course, anybody you know, who knew, met Peter at that point wouldn't have said, oh, there's a very hopeful man. I don't think he was, uh, he was um, giving off that kind of uh, you know, vibe at, the, at that time. He was probably very despondent, very low in himself. But uh, I... I wonder if there was some hope still somewhere down in the depth of his heart. We all need hope, whether it's for the most simplest thing in the world, whether you're, gonna, you're packing a picnic or you're, you're um, uh, planning a holiday or you know, mapping out a career for yourself. 
You need hope. We can't do anything without hope. You get on a bus, you've got a degree of hope that's going to get you to where you want to t- it to take you. And um, sometimes our hope is so low that we can all, it's, it's enough for us to say, you know, just maybe, possibly, tomorrow will not be as bad as I thought it was going to be. That might be all the hope you've got. Have you ever been in that place? Just maybe, possibly, tomorrow won't be as bad uh, as I thought it was going to be. Uh, our hope can be very low at certain points, but we can't do a thing without hope. And there may be somebody here today whose hopes have been dashed. Maybe they felt that uh, God was going to use them in some big and significant way, and it hasn't happened. Well, it hasn't happened yet. But I like to think of um, some people. I'm going to use an, an example from, from outside the Bible. So Winston Churchill, anybody gone to see the film, His Darkest Hour? There's been a revival of interest in Winston Churchill because of this film. But Churchill, I think most historians would hold, if not all historians would hold, that the, the history of this country would have been very different if uh, Winston, Winston Churchill hadn't occupied the office of Prime Minister from 1940-1945. And he uh, believed, that when he took the office in 1940, that he said he, he felt he was walking hand in hand with destiny, that he had a purpose to fulfill. But I wonder what the story of this country would have been if at 52 years old he'd thrown in the towel. You know, or at uh, 57 or 64, or whatever. If he'd said, "I'm just going to give up," I, I, I you know, I thought I was going to be someone. I thought I had a destiny. I thought I wasn't going for me, but evidently I don't. I'm 65 years old. I thought I had a destiny. All I have is a you know bus pass or something like that. Or I don't think I had bus passes then. But um, he didn't. He held his his ground. And for those of you who prefer stories from scripture, uh, instances from scripture, Abraham. Abraham, it says in, in it's Genesis 12, and we have the story there of how uh, at 75 years old, 75 years old, he left, it says Abraham left his father's house. At 75 years old, it's about time. <laughs> if you, you, know, you should at least be thinking about leaving your father's house. And he, he did, and uh, he went in search of a country he knew not. He didn't know where he was going, but he had hope, see, he had hope. And I know in the, in the story of, of Samson in the Bible, one of the judges from uh, Old Testament times, he was anointed by God, served God, but lived most of his life in a backslidden state, sad to say. But there was a moment when he'd been uh, captured by the Philistines and put into shekels, and then he was, they used to take him out to have fun with him and, and make sport of him. It says that he, his, his strength began to return. He was a strong man. He'd lost his strength, but his strength began to return, and he found himself between the pillars, the like, foundational pillars of uh, this Philistine temple, and he pushed outwards, and the, the whole thing came crashing down on the Philistines. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, it's a big deal to you know, bring Philistines to a bad end. Now, it's true that he paid a high price for that, and he, maybe that's because he'd uh, lived so much of his life uh, away from where God wanted him to be. But still, God had a purpose for him. And uh, I just wonder if, uh, you know, if, if sometimes there might be one task that God is still preparing us for, maybe a task that you still have to do, one task uh, I still have to do. And it might be for that one task that we're being prepared. It might not be as, um, as uh, high profile as Winston Churchill's. But it might be, in, the, in terms of the kingdom of God, it might be highly significant all the same. I sometimes think about the thief on the cross, you know. He uh, cried out to the Lord, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And furnished us with a perfect example of how we come to Christ, we're saved 
by grace through faith, not of works, not of ourselves. What did, else did that man do in his life? He didn't, you know, he didn't serve God in any other way that we know of. But uh, in giving his life to God at that moment, it gave us a perfect example of, of how people can come to, to Christ. So who knows what God might make of one moment in our lives. It's not for us to, to pick and choose when that moment should be or what should, what, uh, what should happen, how it should be. So as I say, I think um, hope is essential. It was crucial for us to carry on. And Peter may well have had some hope in his heart. And I, the reason for that is because, um, the reason I say that is because he might have, even though he went out into the, you know, to the night and wept bitterly and, and cried and broken broken man uh, he may just have remembered some of the stories that jesus had told him about prodigal sons returning about um uh, uh the sinners you know praying at the back of the um is it the unrighteous sinners praying at the back of the of the synagogue and 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 finding god for themselves um even though they, they didn't wouldn't have had nobody would have considered they should have much hope i think uh also that he may, Peter may have thought about this, that uh, time when Jesus had said to him, Satan wanted to sift you as wheat, but you will, um, but when you recover, you'll strengthen the brothers. And I think maybe that may have been in his mind. We don't know. But uh, I, the reason I especially think he did have hope is because at this story that we've read today, um, apart from the fact there have already been some resurrection appearances, the, the, earlier in the, the previous chapter of John, uh, we know that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and then to the disciples without Thomas and then to the disciples with Thomas. And uh, when they were in the boat, and John said, they, there's a figure across the, the shore uh, calling out to them, friends, he called out. And Peter said, uh, sorry, John said, it is the Lord. And with that, just with that, uh, Peter, he said, if it's the Lord, I want to see him. And he, he couldn't, didn't have time for the boat to row to shore. He jumped out of the boat and swam across. And I think it's because he had tremendous hope in his heart. So this, um, this uh, restoration of Peter came about with two things, I think. One is that he faced up to himself. He wasn't all that. He wasn't the great man he thought he was. He wasn't uh, full of courage and, and uh, bravery, and he would never let uh, uh, Christ down. And he wasn't everything he had hoped he was. But not only did he face himself, but then he ran to face Christ. Or in this case, he swam to face Christ. And that's what we need to do. We need to, having acknowledged who we are and who we're not, we need to get into Christ's face and, just, and, and turn to him. So he was looking at the problem solver rather than at the problem. I'm going to throw out a little challenge here to anybody who considers themselves introspective. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. But uh, uh, at various times, we're, we're all quite introspective, I suppose. But for some of us, we take on that kind of, that's, that's what you think is our identity. Um, uh, you might uh, come back to me with an answer and say, yeah, actually, I can answer that question. But I wonder sometimes if I've ever met a person who's introspective and happy. Is it possible to be introspective and happy? Maybe you think it is. But I think it tends to be, that, uh, and the other way around, find somebody who's very, very happy, do they tend to be an introspective person? Work that up yourself. The reason I'm saying that is because introspection tends to make us look inward to ourselves and to try and find inner strengths and try and find the answers within. And really what Peter did was he wasn't looking within. He'd done a bit of soul-searching, no doubt, but now the answers weren't within. They were, at, they were uh, with Christ. And so he ran and he faced Christ. And that's where his, um, his recommissioning and his uh, restoration began. Um, yeah, so... 
there was um, a prophetic word for Peter uh, that, that Jesus gave. After, well, actually, you know, he, they did, he said, they had the lovely conversation, didn't they? He said, uh, uh, do you, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Well, feed my sheep. And Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? It says that Peter was hurt. This version here I just read says he was grieved. But I thought it was a bit rich <laughs> that Peter was hurt, you know. Um, maybe Jesus has been hurt through the whole uh, episode as well. But um, it says that Peter was grieved, but he answered the question again, yes, I do. And actually what the Lord was doing there was giving Peter like um, a kind of an opportunity to put things right. He denied the Lord three times. And, of course, now here the opportunity to affirm his love for the Lord three times. And uh, so that kind of balanced things out nicely. But there was a prophetic word that came to Peter at that point as well. And the prophetic word was that you will be led where you don't want to go. And he was said this, Jesus said this in, res- in respect of Peter's death. Uh, that one day he wasn't going to face, and we know that from tradition that uh, Peter was martyred at a certain point. Um, I was thinking about hope, even for the person who thinks, well, you know, ho- our lives are only extend to a certain period. I'm encouraged, you know. We, there's a lovely scripture that says, I know the plans I have. He says, the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. God has a plan for our lives, but that plan includes the day of our passing. Have you ever thought about that? That great plan for our lives includes the day, ideally, when God's just going to take us home. We're not going to go home early, but God's got a, a time for us. And I think that's a, a great thought, that our lives are caught up in God. And um, I think what sustained Peter, even through his times of persecution and his times of uh, Martha, he went through, he suffered a Martha, Martha's death. So if I said a Martha's death, I mean a Martha's death. Um, he, he did this, he... I think he had his eyes on the prize beyond. He was thinking not just of, you know, uh, the pain and suffering of uh, a master's death, but he was thinking of uh, the of heaven. And he, I think to see things from, sometimes with a heavenly perspective is very, very helpful to us. You know, like, we don't know the day of, uh, of our death, and the only time it ever happens is if somebody perhaps is, uh, as, you know, uh, sentenced to be executed. They might say, this person's going to be killed on such and such a day. But generally speaking, we don't know the day that we're going to pass. But if it was possible to know the day, we'd grieve. I think we'd grieve about that day, and our friends would grieve that was going to happen, our friends and family. But in heaven, if if the day of our death is posted in heaven somewhere, the day of our passing, there they throw the hats in the air, you know? There are friends and family who are still waiting for us up there. I think that's a, that's a completely different perspective, isn't it? So that in heaven, they're kind of waiting for us, and they're saying, yeah, that's it, bring them on, you know? So there's, there's hope, and Peter, I think, was uh, uh, encouraged by the hope that in order that he had to face the difficult death that he had to face later on. So in terms of uh, an application of what we have been looking at, I really wanted to say, hold on to hope, whether it's a hope uh, for uh, our lives in this uh, you know, if God's, we're still hoping that God's going to use us in some way or do something with us or do something with somebody else. Hold on to hope. Hope for the next life too. We've got a, a sure hope in Christ. But I also want to bring out very strongly the, the, what I hope to, to do today was to bring out the idea, uh, and I think Dara served us in this because it's a great illustration really, of coming to an end of ourselves, coming to a point where we no longer are putting emphasis on what we can do 
and on our own strengths and our own abilities. Of course, we bring those to God and we offer them to God and say, Lord, use me as I, as I am. And of course, we seek to try and be as best as we can be. But there's some things that only God can do through us, especially when it's work pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we say, Lord, strengths and weaknesses, use me. And we come to an end of ourselves. And uh, having come to an end of ourselves, we, we come face-to-face with Christ and say, Lord, you're the one. Rather than looking at my problems, I'm going to look at my problem solver. Amen. Thank you very much.